Hi guys, Carla and Claire here again with the second installment of the Basically podcast. If you haven't checked out the new site yet, you definitely should, eatbasically.com. But for now, we're answering cooking questions from you guys, our listeners. First up this week is Melanie Holst, a 17-year-old from the Fertile Valley of Sacramento. Melanie called in looking for ideas to preserve the bounty of fruits and vegetables she has access to so they don't go to waste. We talk everything from freezing to dehydrating. After that, Liz Strangle gives us a call from the Bay Area. She wanted to know how to make grain bowls that would feed and satisfy her whole family and not end up with mushy quinoa. We talk through the right way to cook grains, plus give her tons of suggestions for toppings and dressings. All right, let's do this. Here's Melanie. Yeah, tell us about the question that you have about cooking and where you're calling from. Let's start there. Oh, like where I'm calling from? Yeah, where are you, where are you now? I'm just in my room. Um, I flew in from Amsterdam last night, so. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> and you live, in, um, you live in Sacramento, is that right? I do live in Sacramento, yeah. So like uh, part of the Central Valley, we have uh, lots, of, we have tons of farmers markets. Uh, my dad works with farmers a lot, so he has a lot of farmer friends. So we have constantly uh, new produce coming into our house and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Get in like huge quantities and then it goes bad and it just feels so terrible throwing food away. Right. Um, Especially when so, you know the people who grew it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. My, my sister, um, I have an older sister who lives in Sacramento and, you know, Carl and I, we live in New York and the couple times that I've been out to visit her, it's like such a punch to the gut when you realize like, oh my God, you have so much access to incredible produce. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's such a fertile valley that we can literally grow so much stuff. It's very overwhelming. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. I remember we stopped by a farm stand where there were avocados yeah. and artichokes that were five for a dollar. Oh I, I almost God. fell over. <laughs> <laughs> They're like one yeah. for four dollars here. Yeah, exactly. it was the opposite. It was the inverse. So yeah, so we are, we're very jealous, but also excited to talk to you about all the ways that you can sort of work to preserve like the bounty that you have access to. Yeah, I think there's the preserving, like keeping, you know, saving the season kind of stuff that you want to do to make sure that, you know, you can keep stuff around, but also maybe it made me think of like other ways to use everything up, you know, some other ideas for either big batch things or just, you know, recipes where you need a, a large volume of whatever it is, because you're saying you sometimes get more more than you can eat at, at one time. Obviously, you like to cook and you're a sophisticated eater. So what like as far as kitchen equipment and stuff like that, you know, just do you have a basic setup? How comfortable are you cooking skill level, stuff like that? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, definitely the basic stuff like KitchenAid mixer, Vitamix. We also have um, industrial freezer. Oh, uh, wow. So, yeah, we freeze a lot of stuff. Awesome. Um, one thing that I don't have is a dehydrator, which I really want. Um, but well, I tried, like oven dehydrating. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. We can probably get around that with like uh, oven set to two hundred. We'll behave pretty similarly um, to a yeah, dehydrator. Yeah, around with that a little bit. Do you know how low your oven goes? Because I think for a lot of people it's around two hundred, but some ovens go to one fifty, which is even better. 
Yeah, actually mine does go to 150. Oh, nice. And what you can even do is if you're trying to do like a large batch of drying something, you can, um, and your oven doesn't even quite go low enough, you can just prop open the door with like the handle of a wooden spoon and that'll drop the temperature by like 25 or 50 degrees. Um, But yeah, drying is a great preserving technique. I mean, there is preserving that is... Um, a little technical, there's a whole like, canning process where you're sterilizing jars and using a canner. And that that technique is useful because you're preserving things that will last you, you know, a year or even more. But that's a lot of work and kind of advanced. And the times that I've done it, I'm like so scared that I'm like wondering if I've done it right. And then the thing <laughs> that I canned, I end up trying to eat really mm-hmm. fast anyway in case it didn't work. Um, but something like drying and freezing those methods are a lot simpler and they don't quite last as long. But you mentioned in the question that you submitted that you have, you know, I'm sure you have a ton of tomatoes. That was one thing, one ingredient you mentioned. And like oven drying is a great technique for if you have a ton of tomatoes that are starting to go a little bad, they're getting a little wrinkly from ripening on the countertop. Um, And so like you're just putting a ton of olive oil and maybe some chili flake and salt and letting them go in like a 150 oven, um, even overnight, you know, 12 hours or so, and then packing them in oil and you've essentially made your own, not Confit. quite not quite sun-dried, but yeah, your, your own dried tomatoes that are like delicious on top of toast or like stirred into scrambled eggs. So that's one method I would highly recommend for tomatoes. Oh, so, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. I do the same thing with tomatoes when we get to the end of the season. Here on the East Coast, we have like pretty awesome tomatoes and they go down to maybe a dollar a pound towards the, you know, late, late August into the middle of September. So I always go and buy, you know, 20 pounds or something and lug them back to the house. And then I just get every, the all my biggest pots out and roasting pans. And I, I honestly, I don't even cut the tomatoes up or core them. Um, but I put them in every cooking vessel I have basically with olive oil, you know, heads of garlic that are cut in half, whole sprigs of basil and thyme and chili flake and salt, and, um, just cook them again, pretty slowly until I make not a very reduced tomato sauce, but where the tomatoes are breaking down and, and starting to bubble around and thickening a little bit. And then I put the whole thing through a food mill, which you mentioned having a, um, a Vita prep, it would take a lot of batches. Um, you could do it in a food presser processor also. And then that can go right into gallon sized freezer bags. And because you have the chest freezer, I don't, you know, like Claire, I've tried canning. I don't, it's not that I don't recommend it. And I would use a resource like the, the ball, the ball company who make the ball jars. Their website is actually a really, has a lot of really useful and really easy to follow information, but you know, it's, it's, you know, the sterilizing and the thing, it's a, it's a, process. You could throw a party, get your friends over and have a canning party. Everybody takes some home. But if you don't, if that's just like too much, you know, put them in freezer bags, put them in your, your chest freezer, your industrial freezer and throw them into any braise that you make in the winter. They're great in bean soups. You can make a pasta sauce with them. You, they could be the base for a tomato soup. So, and because it's like a nice, like loose, not very reduced sauce, it makes it more versatile than just having something that like you can put on pasta. Oh yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. 
Tomatoes are definitely a big thing in California. Everybody has like big tomato plants in their backyard. We always. Carla, we're not living right. No, we're not. There's a problem. To be able to go to a farmer's market where there's fresh lemons, like, (laughs) what would that be like? I don't know. Wait, really? Lemons? Well, they don't. They don't grow on the in the Northeast. I guess in Florida. Yeah, you could get a lemon at the farm stand. I listened to a podcast about all of the. There's like a citrus research center somewhere in like Central California at one of the UC schools, and it like. Was devastating. It was like I, I want, I want, I want to go to there. I want that. Um, um, yeah, we're we're deprived here. You, you're you're in a great. Don't move. Yeah, stay you're where you living are. The life. Um, I also yeah. liked. Um, you had mentioned specifically persimmons. Having having a lot of persimmons on hand. Oh yeah, my neighbor has a persimmon tree, and we have this program in Sacramento where like you can like people can post their fruit trees online. And then you can get free fruit if you go over to their house. Um, wow. My God. Because, like, if people have lemon trees and you have, like, 500 lemons, you don't know what to do with them. So right. my mom will just get so many persimmons. We'll have, like, cases and cases of it. And then we have to give it away to people. Right. Wow. So I don't, I have, yeah. Those are I mean, really good. Before, but Those are delicious dried. Yeah. Are they the persimmons that are, like, tomato-shaped or that they're more tapered and, like, a little bit more pointy, o- oblong? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're like tomato-shaped. Um, so those yeah. are the, there's two main There's Hachia and Fuyu. Yeah, I'm I think those look are the Fuyu. Right Hachia are the ones that when they get ripe, they feel like water balloons. The Fuyu are actually the round, the, the fu- round Right, right. Round so the ones. Fuyu are the ones that it sounds like you have that are, they're not, you know, they're, when they're ripe, they're still very firm. And those are delicious in salads. There's the Japanese technique for drying persimmons, but I think that it's the other, I think it's the Hachia. Oh, where you hang them. Where you hang them. But I was thinking she could just um, slice these and dehydrate them and have like persimmon jerky. Chips, yeah. totally. Um, and do that. I also, um, per- persimmon makes a really beautiful puree. Um, and I think it would make a really also a great compote. Totally. Um, which most jam and jelly recipes, Claire's going to know this better than I do, will say to do an equal weight, like whatever the weight of the fruit, you do the same weight in sugar, like to make a, a, a true preserve or jam. It's flexible depending on um, pectin like, and how tart you want it for, I think for some fruits, yeah, but you can go down to, I think about 50% weight by right. weight in sugar. Okay. That's um, what I usually do, not knowing really anything. I just <laughs> right. sort of like ballpark it. Right. I mean, if you're not trying to truly can jam and you're not that concerned about getting this perfect like jelly set it's pretty flexible and you can really play around so you might have something that's more like a spread like Mm -hmm. a fruit spread which is totally fine so Melanie your email also mentioned peaches which sounds like you have a lot of um, Mm -hmm. and it's a great technique for if you want to make peach jam or like a persimmon I've never tried a persimmon jam it sounds awesome it's really nice because they sort of have a natural sour like sweet and sour vibe to them and they can feel a little bit savory as well so I think if you did a compote that wasn't super sweet so sort of with that that 50% weight you know if you have two pounds of persimmons use one pound of sugar and you can also sort of season that with a little bit of of lemon juice or rice vinegar um, and that you could serve with something like pork chops or 
you know, something that's a little bit like the way you would do pork chops and applesauce. I think pork chops or duck and persimmon would be really, really tasty. Mm-hmm. But it would be also amazing just stirred into yogurt. So Yeah, you could do like a, a persimmon butter like you would an apple butter. Like yep. a, just like a super reduced um, fruit puree with a little sugar, a little acid, and then you can eat it on toast for breakfast or – um, yeah, like with some kind of protein um, or on like a cheese plate would be really, really delicious. Ooh, cheese plate. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, cheese. Or even um, in a grilled cheese. Have you ever done that? Like just put like a mustarda oh, yeah. or a jam in with the grilled cheese? Oh, no, I haven't done that. I sometimes I put apples in, but um, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah same good. idea. That sounds awesome. So yeah, what What nice. other, and this is so fun, I know. what, what other like, things do you have? When's the next harvest, <laughs> Melanie? We're coming over. <laughs> yeah, I definitely come. One thing that, I mean, kale. We have so much kale. So much kale. Kale chips are kind of like the go-to preservatives that we have are like freezing large amounts of kale. But when you freeze it, it, kind of, it gets this grainy texture. Yeah, it's really mm. not. yeah it's because the the moisture in the leaves gets kind of explodes. Those cell walls explode. So they kind of get kind of spongy. So this is what I was, I was kind of thinking about this before when you just have a large volume and you need to come up with a recipe that's just going to like get you through a lot of it. So with that much kale, you could think about doing um, kale pesto. Um, So you would probably want some amount of basil in there as well. But um, you know how when you cook a leafy green like kale or spinach, I mean, it shrinks in size like from, you know, something gigantic into like where did all the kale go? So if you if you have the kale, you strip it off of the rib. Right. And then just tear it up with your hands. Bring a big pot of very salted water to a boil or two and just blanch the kale for like a minute you know, till it's bright green and a little bit tender, but you're not going for like full, you know, puree texture. Um, so a couple of minutes blanching it and then you can either in a food processor or in the blender, um, turn that into a pesto with basil, you know, you could use nuts like pecans or almonds. Um, what are the other wall? I like walnuts. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of almonds growing there, so you can just get through some of those. And then uh-huh. any hard grating cheese. So, like, normally you would use Parmesan. You could use Pecorino. You could use an aged Gouda. You could use, like, a really firm cheddar. Like, those, it'll be great. Um, salt and pepper and puree that with enough olive oil to, you know, fully saturate the whole mixture. And then those can be frozen in, like, half-cup little containers And again, like you can obviously use it for pasta, but like I love stirring a pesto into the end of a a hearty vegetable soup. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like great if you thaw it and then mix it into yogurt or sour cream like you have a dip. Carly, you had a recipe in the magazine that ran in Dinner Tonight. February. February. That was a recipe that was so simple. It's so delicious. It was just spaghetti, right? Spaghetti and kale, but it was like equal parts spaghetti and kale. Yeah, pretty much. I think it was, uh, I think the actual recipe title was spaghetti aglio olio with tons of kale. <laughs> right. um, so in that recipe, and I eat a lot of kale too, and I can take down an entire, a bunch by myself. So um, I'm very proud of that. Um, so I think for four people, it was like two or three bunches of kale. And in my book, like if you're eating that much vegetable, you can have as much pasta as you want. So you could try that out on the family too. And it's just garlic, olive oil, chili flake, 
a lot of kale, spaghetti. Mm-hmm. I think the trick when it when it comes to freezing, particularly vegetables or really anything, um, and I mean anything cooked. I think one of the tricks is freezing something in liquid mm-hmm. to prevent that sort of like it gets like a glassiness. Carla, as you said, it's like something involving cell walls bursting. I know that much, not much more. <laughs> um, but to prevent that like watered out sort of yeah. like, unappealing texture, um, just freezing anything in liquid. So like making one thing I immediately thought of is like making a big pot of beans, mm. just cooking them, you know, soaking them overnight, cooking them in water with, you know, some onion and some other aromatics um, and then wilting a bunch of kale in there and then freezing in like quart containers. And then that's something great to have around in wintertime where you're like, you know, it's such a quick dinner. You can just thaw it out and totally. you can always, you know, add some like cooked sausages or something. Or when you have like unexpected visitors, like and Claire just <laughs> show up at your door and we're like, you have soup, right? Um, yeah, that was something freezing beans. I didn't learn about that until we did the bean primer. I did not know the beans, beans freeze really well. Yeah. Oh, really? You can never have too many of those things. You can around. never be too rich or have too many beans. <laughs> right. Which you had too much frozen <laughs> kale. Um, any other particular produce item that you've, like struggle to use up. I can't even imagine what your zucchini situation is like. Oh my gosh, zucchinis and squash. Oh my gosh. I feel like they all get ripe in like one week. Yep, too. pretty much. And then if you, then they get too big and they don't taste as well. It's good. So you have to pull them all off at once. And then we just have zucchinis like piled up on our table. Exactly. Yeah, that. What's that like? I never, never had that problem before. Well, zucchini <laughs> is one of those crops that just goes crazy mm-hmm. um do you guys like stuffed zucchini i have a hard time zucchini and me i don't know yeah. I've, i i i'm i'm waiting to fall in love with zucchini i think it's one yeah, of those me too. it's kind of something that you need another star of the show and it's kind of an accompanying player yeah um yeah my dad makes really good uh couscous and zucchini it freezes pretty well oh you um, know what you should do is you should make ratatouille Oh, yeah. Never done that. Because that combines like a lot of things that come into season at the same time. So zucchini, Mm -hmm. sweet bell peppers, tomato, eggplant, tomato, basil, more olive oil. Everything we do just has olive oil, basil and garlic. (laughs) It's never bad. No, no, never. Never. I think I think with zucchini, it's one of those things where it benefits from either very, very quick cooking or super long cooking because there's just so much water. And if you like, mm-hmm. m- you know, if you cook it like a middle amount of time, it just gets this sort of sponginess and like un- unappealing kind of texture. Yeah. So I yeah. think like like fried zucchini mm. is totally delicious and that cooks super fast. And then the alternative is doing a very like long cooked sort of stewed version where you're driving off a lot of the water and trying mm-hmm. to concentrate those flavors. And Chris Morocco mm-hmm. had a, um, one of our food editors did a recipe um, that is the summer squash? Yeah, a summer squash pasta. It's up now. It's, it's online. Now. Okay. I just looked at it today. So it's like, I think it says it's charred. I think it's sp- pasta with charred spaghetti and basil or something. Did I say charred spaghetti? <laughs> yeah. yeah like, <laughs> spaghetti with charred something. Spaghetti with charred zucchini. There we go. And basil. It's online. I literally just looked at it. I think with that one, he like cooks it 
he kind of cooks it pretty quickly, but very like high heat. It's high heat, pan. and so it gets caramelized, but also softened. So it's got some texture from where it goes to caramelized and also it deepens the flavor, but it's not cooked to mush, mm -hmm. which is the other recipe that sounds not great, but cooked, did he actually call it cooked to shit vegetables? When Emil, our colleague Emil Stanek, who we adore, um, did a series, it was sort of like grandma, like Italian grandma style vegetables where you, you really do just stew the vegetables until they, they just give up everything they have. Um, and so it's like what Claire was saying, just the opposite of crisp. I mean, but that's what you're going for. And very, very delicious. And I bet you, you know, with because you cook it down and cook it for so long, um, it'll also go from being a very big quantity to like, a, oh, like that's an amount that I could actually eat, you know? And you'll be able to keep it for a lot longer because you've gotten rid of a lot of the water. Um, and so that is sort of a not totally long-term preserving technique, but cooking anything is a preserving technique. It will last for a lot longer than if it were raw. So um, true. Yeah. So and, true. Wait, Carla, I have a question. So, Melanie, do you guys have a grill? Yeah, we do. Okay. Uh, we have, we got the whole grill situation, right? It's got a smoker. We've got a lever and a gas. Mm. Oh, man. So we haven't even talked about smoking. Another great preserving <laughs> technique. But one thing you can do is take any of those summer vegetables and throw them on the grill whole. Don't even cut them up. Don't take the stem mm -hmm. off. And let them char, like just blacken them, like cook them more than you've ever cooked anything on the grill. Um, and in that process, they are like they are um, they're kind of steaming on the inside, but they're also losing moisture. Um, so I would do this with you could do it with zucchini, you can do it with eggplant, you can do it with you can do it with sweet potatoes, you can do it. Um, oh, Carla, I just thought you do it with cabbage, except it was on the stove. Oh yeah, oh, that, I love one. that. You could, do, recipe. you could totally do a whole cabbage. Definitely celery root, beets, mm -hmm. any carrots, even yeah. Um, and the, the insides get like custardy and totally delicious. And then you, of course, you get that great smoke flavor from the, the grill. Um, and then once, you know, let it take them off the grill, let them cool off until they're not too hot and then split them open and scoop out the flesh. And that's a great technique for if you're using eggplant, like making a baba ganoush or some kind of eggplant tahini mixture. But then you can do that. You can apply that same technique to all these other vegetables, too. Yeah, that was our that was our famous Will It Baba um, recipe page that we did a couple summers ago and basically went through the exercise of figuring out like what other vegetables you could turn into baba ganoush. So and it was all of those. Um, the title of that recipe we were talking about before the squash pasta is summer squash and basil pasta. And it was published in May. And a lot of people are making it, actually. No big. I mean, I'm not. Shouldn't sound so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Melanie, this was like our fantasy question. We just got to think about all of our favorite ingredients and what we would do if we had too many of them. So. I'm, I'm, I'm both inspired and feeling bad about myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, having me on. Thank you for your question. We appreciate it. Yeah, keep cooking. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. Hi, Liz. Hi. Hi. Thanks for your question. So if you could just sort of walk us through the challenges that you're having, and this is all about grain bowls and how you think, what you what help you need, just take it from the top. Okay. Um, so I would like to be able to throw together um, a like, dinner-worthy 
grain salad that would satisfy everybody in the family. So ideally, I would be using leftover. Um, I normally make quinoa, so let's say quinoa, um, from the night before or even um, a couple days ago. Um, but I want to make like a very a different dish that I could make ahead of time and that everyone could eat room temperature so on their own schedule so nobody has to warm it up. Got it. Um, since everyone has kind of a different schedule. Um, but I but I want something that could kind of satisfy everybody. So um, in our family, this would mean um, an animal protein, either chicken or steak, um, no cheese or a cheese on the side kind of situation. Okay. And... Um, and some kind of a mild vinaigrette, nothing sour, because it has to satisfy um, kids as well. And what's the age range? I'm just curious in the kid department. So 13 and 15. And my my 15 year old um, is especially uh, picky. Like if he could, every single night he would eat brown rice, some kind of sautéed or roasted vegetable, and steak or chicken. Mm. Healthy. You got a healthy junior there. All right. I also have a... Not so much for salads. Okay. So less on the leafy greens, but he he does like vegetables. Yeah, he loves... I mean, he loves sautéed chard or steamed chard and kale, but cooked. Got it. He um, he tolerates um, salad, but in a... But he would never have like... like My daughter would have a whole... um, a salad as a main entree with, um, as long as it had protein in it. But, um, but he would never dream of that. I'm the mother of a select, I like to say he's a selective eater as well. So I feel, I feel your pain and the rest of us are like total omnivores. All right. Well, Claire, there's one more thing. Um, they do, uh, he's obsessed with ramen. So, um, they, everybody in the family loves jammy eggs. Oh, cool. Great. There's a lot to work with here. Uh, totally. These are not, these are like, these are good problems to have, I think. Totally. Um, so wait, Liz, where are you calling from out of curiosity? From the Bay Area. Bay Area. Okay. So year round, you have a lot to work with produce wise, which is nice, more or less. Um, but the first thing I was thinking of is I'm curious how you're cooking your quinoa. Cause you mentioned in your email that they tend to turn out, sometimes your salads turn out a little bit dry, even when you're adding a lot of oil. So my first yeah. question was maybe there's some troubleshooting there. So, yeah, the quinoa that I make um, does turn out kind of dry. What I end up doing is making sort of a fried rice situation, only using quinoa. So um, I actually use the recipe. and I think I use like a cup of quinoa, maybe a cup of water or three-quarters cup of water. I can't remember. It's actually from the from a cookbook. Which one? Um so it's a method where at the end of the cooking, all of the water is absorbed by the quinoa or do you have to um, drain it? No, it's completely absorbed. Okay. So it's just the right amount of water to steam in there. Right. And Claire's nodding at me. So I already know what she's going to say. Well, I've actually received a lot of questions from like friends and even acquaintances about how to cook quinoa because I think it's something very tricky and it depends on sometimes you're cooking red quinoa or there's white quinoa and that and it's the same issue that people have cooking rice is that it can be very tricky to get just the right amount of water so that your quinoa is fully cooked but not like totally soggy. Um, and one solution that I really recommend is trying to cook it instead of like rice where you're steaming and there's sort of this very precise 
like doneness point is to cook it more like pasta where you're boiling it in an excess of water and it's floating around freely. Um, and then I usually taste for tenderness and um, I, I look for the, there's that little like spindly tail that separates from the grain when quinoa is cooked. And I look for yeah. that and I taste it. And if it's tender, I drain it immediately. And at that point, it's quite wet. And everyone, you know, like rice, everyone likes fluffy, delicious quinoa, especially if you're using it for like a fried rice technique or a salad. Um, but then I drain it thoroughly and I put it back in the very hot saucepan that I cooked it in, throw a lid on. Sometimes I'll throw like a clean kitchen towel or a couple of layers of paper towel underneath the lid, which helps absorb condensation. And I just let it hang out on the stove still hot for like five minutes or so. And it kind of like s continues to steam and fluff a bit. Um, and that leads to like really nicely cooked quinoa that, um, and it's, you know, it's a lot less um, precise about controlling the exact heat on the stove while it steams and there's like less guesswork. So that might, you know, I would recommend that method going forward if you feel like maybe sometimes the, you know, the quinoa is turning out a little bit too firm or crunchy or even like a little soggy and then you're not able to, um, you know, it's like getting watered out when you're dressing it. Right. I, I totally second what Claire said and just would add that, that is a great method for any grain. Um, so you also mentioned brown rice being something that the that your son likes. You can do this with brown rice. You could do it with white rice. You can do it with farro, spelt, barley. So this, just think of it as the pasta cooking method for grains. And then all of that, trying to memorize the ratios and whatever. Just make sure that the water is salted well. Um, and that will season the quinoa from the very beginning. And you will, you'll end up with a really nicely hydrated, like fluffy grain, because if you're cooking it twice, then you're going to remove even more, even more moisture. And you might be even hardening that, like the exterior of the, the quinoa, you know, has like a little shell to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's one thing. And then I don't know if this is just too fussy, but you know, if the cooked, um, the cooked greens are something that everybody likes in the grain bowl. Um, could you also have some raw leafy vegetables, you know, in a bowl to the side? And that way, kind of like when you go to a sweet green or a chopped or another salad concept, you can kind of have your grains with, you know, maybe salad on top of them. So then... Your daughter's going to be happy because she gets her raw, crunchy stuff, you know, her raw lettuces and can kind of treat it like a like a grain and salad. And then you're not alienating anybody else who doesn't want those things. OK, I see. And so you really have the greens on the side, kind of. And then she can just add those at will. Right. I think okay. a, another thought, just because you mentioned protein. So your your kids like steak and chicken. Um, one thing we rely on all the time, like especially during the week when everyone's busy and doesn't have don't have time to stick a chicken in the oven, is like getting you know going to a decent grocery store and buying a rotisserie chicken and pulling off the skin and then separating the meat from the bones and just shredding it and that is like such a great quick protein to be able to fold into already cooked grains, um, such a time saver. And that's the kind of thing where you can make that a couple days ahead and mix it together. And, you know, the meat is like it's ready to go and it's already mixed in. Um, and then the other option is if you don't want to do that, you can always poach a couple of 
boneless, skinless chicken breasts. Just in some salted water, you could throw in a couple aromatics like a couple bay leaves and peppercorns um, and just really gently cook those through and then shred the meat because the white meat of the chicken like shreds into such wonderful like little bite-sized pieces. So that would be my recommendation for um, like a go-to protein to add. But then of course having some like seven minute eggs Mm -hmm. or seven and a half minute eggs cooked and labeled. You can use a little Sharpie to label each egg, but still in the shell so that people can help themselves to an egg and just give it a quick peel. Um, you know, when they're like reaching into the fridge for a quick lunch or dinner or something. I uh, have another ramen related recommendation, which is the base is not, um, quinoa, but and this recipe is developed by Claire there. We have a really fantastic kind of ramen noodle bowl, which is going to click a lot of the same click a lot of the same boxes, check Check. a lot of the same (laughs) It's going to check a lot of the same boxes. So instead of starting with quinoa, you have cooked ramen noodles, which you can get really good fresh ones um, from sun noodle. They're in like every whole foods, which I'm sure you have access to in the Bay area. And if not, you can use dried ramen and it's also really good. And, um, it has a very, not very sour. It's got a little bit of lemon juice, but like a soy tahini gingery dressing, um, with some sesame oil in it. And then that also gets like some sliced steak, some crunchy vegetables, scallion, Napa cabbage, um, and some cashews for crunch and, and cilantro. So it's really like, it does feel salady, but it also feels very, um, like a full meal because you've got, you know, the ramen and all these different vegetables and the protein. Um, so that would be one, maybe take a look at. And if you, if you're not into the ramen idea and you guys really want to stick in with your whole grain, um, vibe, then try that with, with brown rice. I think it would be really, I think it would be great. So that recipe is called ramen with steak and sesame ginger dressing. Um, and it was a favorite of ours. I remember when you were developing them. Yeah, and it's perfect for summertime because, um, Liz, you as you said, cold, yeah, you right. can grab it out of the fridge and, and everything is meant to sort of hold up pretty well. Um, and, you know, anything that's like a tender, leafy thing, like an herb that I think that recipe has like cilantro mm-hmm. in it or mint, um, you can always leave that some like herbs, you know, cleaned in a bag in the crisper drawer of the fridge and fold that in at the last minute. But everything is kind of designed to sit um, like in the dressing so it can absorb. I love make ahead salads and... Um, something I rely on a lot is putting like a a very hard crunchy vegetable in because as it sits in the dressing, it tends to soften a little bit. So I tend to avoid anything that's like too watery, like um, cucumber, which can leach out a ton of water and then it dilutes the whole flavor of of the salad. Um, But something like broccoli or um, cauliflower, radishes, radishes, like a super crunchy vegetable, um, kohlrabi, which kind of has the flavor of like a broccoli stem, which I really love. Stuff like that. I mean, I don't know if your um if your son would be into a super crunchy uncooked vegetable like that, but they do tend to soften a little bit. Um and you know, you could always like give it a quick steam or even broccoli is something that is amazing when you like give it a quick saute and even let it get a little charred around the edges and kind of chop it up finely so it like mingles in with all the grains. Um that's are one these, thought. Are these uh fruitful at all? Do you think any of this would fly or are we off base? Yeah, no, I think it would totally fly. And I would add like, as far as the raw, some, um, carrots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
maybe because that's crunchy and um and yeah i like i do think we have the crunchy works and um or maybe the lightly steamed um just because that way i can dress it all ahead of time right i just don't want anyone to have to warm anything up yeah right and you know choosing those things like claire said that actually get better when they're dressed and they sit instead of things that are going to suffer um how are is your family do you do you guys like rice noodles like the kind that yeah. are, yeah. So that's another, we have yeah. some great rice, cold noodle salads online as well that, um, again, just sort of have like a nice mix of textures, colors, protein. Um, you can add shrimp to them. Chicken would be great. The steak is great. So kind of getting into that world and just kind of playing around and just thinking of like, you want your base to be this hearty thing, whether it is a grain or a noodle um, and then having a mix of crunchy things, tender things, you know, a nut is always nice, a little bit of, um, a little bit of acidity. I know you said he doesn't like things that are too sour, but having, when you're having cold stuff, especially you need a little zing. Um, and sometimes it can be if, if lemon's too sour, like try mixing orange and lime or something like that. Um, just so that every bite sort of, even though it's a pre, like it's a pre-prepared meal and it, and it didn't just come out of the kitchen, it still has enough interest that like eating a whole bowl of it, there's like plenty, plenty going on. Right. Like maybe like a dressing with some, some soy sauce or the fish sauce and chili. Mm, exactly. Stuff with just a little more, or sesame a little bit more flavor. Yeah. Totally. One, Liz, one thought I had since you want to avoid anything too acidic um, and since your kids like ramen, they're probably familiar with the flavor of miso, which is a great dressing base because it's something that has, it has a lot of pungency and flavor, but it also has sort of like a mildness to it. Um, and it's not, you know, and it um, benefits from a little bit of acidity, like maybe a rice vinegar, which again is not like a very sharp um, acid. Um, but uh, miso adds like it makes such a nice base for a vinaigrette, any kind of dressing, and it adds a lot of body to the dressing too. So it tends to coat things really well. Oh, it doesn't just like slide right off of the you know the greens or the grains or anything. What was uh, the miso recipe you just did? That was really like that. And we were like, ooh, it's so creamy. And <laughs> I think that maybe was a recipe from our Dinner Tonight column that had a little bit of mayo oh, mixed in. Yes. Like emulsified That was that chicken dressing. salad. Yes. That would be a great was one. from Cassia, yes, right? From the Is chef that in Brian August? Egg. Oh, God, Carla. I don't remember I don't even know. what month. I think it is August. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a dressing that's sort of, um, uh, it's a little bit creamy because you sort of make a mayo and you add miso and you thin it out with, um, I think there's some soy in yeah. it too. And that's like a really beautiful creamy dressing that um, is great on, that was like a leafy salad, but it would be delicious on pretty much anything. And that, that recipe had, I think, rotis- like pulled rotisserie chicken. I think it had chicken. pulled rotisserie chicken and shredded cabbage. And, and also ginger just- on it. I just, yeah. Also, let's like make sure that you're happy too. Like, are these, are you, are you going to enjoy this dinner? Cause it's not, you know, the children take over a lot of things, but you have to be happy as well. 
Oh yeah, no, I'm very happy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can I could eat like salad and quinoa every day, so that's perfect for me. Awesome. Um, I mean, I, the only thing that they don't like that we like that my husband and I like is fish, but um, but that's mm-hmm. actually my daughter's coming around, so. That's cool. I was also going to say just in the, in, you know, more commiserating over having children who have very particular palates. If your, if your offspring are open to fish sauce, like they're going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They, they are actually, they love it. They don't know they like it, but they do. And they like, um, and they seem to really like vegetables too. So I think you're, you definitely have a healthy household. They seem ahead of the curve. Yeah. Sometimes what I do with the quinoa also, since the way I was making it, I felt like it was a bit lacking flavor, um, is I would make it with, I make it with, um, with, uh, chicken broth. Mm, That's smart. Do you feel like that helps in the long run compared to just water? It definitely is going to help. It's going to flavor it. But, um, but sometimes I do do it. Yeah. Especially if I'm making like, I'm going to serve it with chicken. Well, and this, I think also it brings up the question that we talk about a lot in the test kitchen, which is like, how much should you be salting the water that you're using to cook pretty much anything from pasta to like blanching vegetables? And I, there's always a moment where like, if I'm ever cooking for someone at home, um, like a friend at a friend's house and they watch me add salt to something, they're like, oh my God, like, what are you doing? Like, they look at me like this look of horror. And it's because I'm adding so much salt. And so I think people are really shocked to realize how much salt it takes to truly flavor something that you're cooking in boiling water. So I would just try maybe adding, if you, you know, go back to water, you decide, you know, you don't have any chicken stock in the house. Um, Try adding more salt than you think you should to the water and see if that helps too. Because there's, you know, you can only, if they're, if you're not salting enough and you're cooking the grains through, there's only so much seasoning you can add to the outside. But yeah. that, that salting process really cooks and seasons the grains from the inside out. Yeah. Another absolutely. thought about that. Liz, thank you so much for calling. This is awesome. And um, let us know how it goes. Okay. Thank you so much. Anytime. Bye. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wurtzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's with additional music by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.